Today's show is brought to you by Audible. From beloved classics to the latest bestsellers, Audible offers emotionally rich, intimate spoken word listening for anyone seeking to be more productive, better informed, or thoughtfully entertained. Join Audible now for their special anniversary offer. For a limited time until September 26th, new members will get two free audiobooks with their first 30 days free at audible.ca. Audible is also giving away a free gift from now until September 30th to celebrate their anniversary. Just go to audible.ca slash F-R-E-E-G-I-F-T to get a free download of Canadianity, Tales from the True North Strong and Freezing. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software. A lot of accounting tasks for freelancers and small businesses can take up a lot of time, and it gets in the way of doing stuff you actually want to do. On average, FreshBooks accounting software saves users up to 192 hours a year because it makes taking care of your business and your books that much easier. FreshBooks is just for you, offering a free 30-day trial for, well, all Oppo listeners. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com oppo and enter OPPO in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash oppo. From Canada land, this is oppo. I'm Justin Ling, and I'm in Montreal for a change. And I can safely say that I've never done blackface before. So do I get a medal or anything? Yeah, okay, well, no, that's fine. That's cool. Today, in our merry-go-round of celebrity guests host, I'm joined by Murad Hamadi, policy and tech reporter for The Logic. Thanks for coming on, Murad. Uh, I will be looking into all your yearbook photos. <laughs> there is nothing in there but sadness. On this week's show, we're going to be talking about, yes, the blackface scandal, obviously, and we're going to despair about an election that is simultaneously enraging and about nothing at all. And then we're going to move from the campaign trail to your living room, where your Amazon Alexa or Google smart home device is probably listening to you. The parties have unveiled some plans aimed at Canada's innovation economy, and we're going to break down what all of that means. But first, we're going to give you a rundown of the week from hell. Darkening your face, uh, regardless of the context or the circumstances, is always unacceptable because of the racist history of blackface. I should have understood that then, uh, and I never should have done it. The federal election has finally entered into minstrel show territory as not one, not two, but three instances emerged of Justin Trudeau in black or brown face. There was Trudeau playing Harry Belafonte at a quote-unquote talent show at his rich white guy high school, to just straight black face at a rich white guy rafting tour, to dressing up as Aladdin at a fancy dress party at the rich white guy school where he was teaching at. Oh, and there could be more. So, Murad, you've already told me the Aladdin thing has absolutely set you off. What did you make of of this obscene Aladdin costume? Yeah, and and I want to start with uh, the aesthetics of it. Um, So Aladdin's whole outfit in the animated movie and in the live action movie uh, (laughs) is built around the fact that it's cream. Cream or beige, depending on the version, but it is not white. And why is it not white? Because the cream or beige works better with that particular skin tone pigment. 
So the fact that Trudeau is wearing all white in that photo shows that he hasn't had to dress for brown skin all his life, which is probably actually a bit of a relief now that I think about it, because it sort of minimizes the number of times he's done brown face. Um, <laughs> but to, to focus on, on the Aladdin part specifically, look, Aladdin is a uh, not a perfect film. In the original version of Arabian Nights, there's literally a line that goes, it's barbaric, but hey, it's home. It's flat and immense, and the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. Pretty racist. Yeah, pretty racist. Um, uh, But here's the thing. If you were, as I was, a little brown boy growing up anywhere east of, let's say, Greece and west of China, then Aladdin was the animated film that you got. Uh, you wanted to see yourself in the kind of movie that you watched, and I watched a lot of Disney movies as a child. Uh, Aladdin was your thing. I'm pretty mad because in Aladdin you have, you know, uh, a not-quite-a-prince, street urchin, I think is the technical term, whose princess lives in a building that is supposed to be the Taj Mahal and has, has a Bengal tiger for a pet. That's about as as brown as I was going to get. And Justin Trudeau managed to ruin that for me. So I've got a bone to pick with the prime minister because he's just destroyed a admittedly very problematic but integral piece of my childhood. That and quirky socks. I can't wear quirky socks anymore. <laughs> that is the most specific grievance I've heard with this entire thing thus far. And I'm here for it. I just feel like other people have done a good job of breaking down the race implications of this thing. And you should go and read them. <laughs> but if you want to know how I feel about socks. <laughs> anyway, the prime minister himself had to do a rush job on Wednesday night after the pictures first emerged, only to have to apologize again oh, Thursday have always acknowledged that I come from a place of privilege, but I now need to acknowledge that that comes with a massive blind spot. He didn't consider the blackface racist back then, way back in 2001, when of course no one knew that blackface was bad, right? Right, Murad? Everyone, everyone kind of thought blackface was okay in 2001. That seems to be his theory. <laughs> anyway, he's figured out that it's bad now. This uh, is something that obviously uh, I deeply regret. I never should have done. Meanwhile, Andrew Scheer quickly declared that this saga was proof that Trudeau is unfit for office. Is someone with a complete lack of judgment and integrity. Which admittedly is a bit odd considering the conservative leader spent weeks deflecting liberal oppo research, finally declaring that he'd accept candidates who apologized profusely after they were caught saying racist and homophobic stupid ass things. That obviously doesn't apply to the prime minister. But it was Jagmeet Singh's statement that really framed the coverage. Emotional and direct, the NDP leader recounted the racism he and other racialized people have faced in this country for decades, or, you know, centuries. The kids that see this image, the people that see this image, are going to think about all the times in their life that they were made fun of, that they were hurt, that they were hit, that they were insulted, that they were made to feel less because of who they are. And I want to talk to those people right now. The Liberal Party was quick to trot out its MPs of color to say that the Prime Minister was not, in fact, a racist. Trudeau then tried to find a way to absolve himself by trying to set up a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Jagmeet Singh so he can feel better about Justin Trudeau. I mean, it's well known that Jagmeet Singh speaks for all the Browns. <laughs> As if this clusterfuck wasn't enough to despair about, Captain Comment Section Maxime Bernier has been officially invited to the ongoing train wreck that is the official consortium debates designed and blessed by Trudeau himself. That means both the English and French debates will feature Trudeau, Scheer, Singh, May, Bernier, Bloc leader Yves-Francois Blanchet, and a seventh secret federal party leader. No, Justin, we got rid of that one when we got Singh. That was the secret brown leader. <laughs> no, what do you haven't even heard of yet? 
Now, on the campaign trail, Justin Trudeau tried desperately to change the channel as he pledged for a federal semi-automatic assault weapons ban, and he would open the door for letting municipalities tighten up restrictions on or even ban handguns. It's time to end gun violence in Canada, and that's what a re-elected Liberal government will strive to do. Meanwhile, the Green Party has come out in favor of decriminalizing all personal drug possession, joining the NDP, who previously endorsed decriminalization, but are being a little more circumspect in their party platform. The Conservative Party unveiled their universal tax cut, which is a fancy way of saying they'd implement a one and a quarter point cut to the lowest tax rate, which would substantially reduce taxes for low-income people. They also announced a crusade against corporate welfare, but couldn't really say who they were going after. The Liberals fired back with their own tax change and increased the personal exemption amount. This plan would be progressive, meaning the benefit would decrease the more income you earn. It's setting up a fight between the Liberals and Tories to see who can convince more people that their plan lifts more people out of poverty, while also slyly reducing the tax burden for middle-income earners. All the while, both parties are planning to reduce the overall tax base, which means less money to pay for the shit they're promising. And on Sunday, Singa Blanchette appeared on the wildly popular Quebec talk show, Tout le monde en parle. Singh did well as he made a pitch for his wealth tax and green infrastructure plan and even managed to crack a couple jokes in French. Blanchette, meanwhile, made a more nationalist pitch to voters who cannot find another party to get behind. And finally, a woman collapsed at a campaign rally in Markham Stouffville. Luckily, that rally was for Jane Philpott, who's a goddamn doctor. Philpott rushed into the crowd to help the woman until paramedics arrived. Luckily for this woman, not another lawyer running for office. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is a daily service for people who want to be inspired, educated, and informed. Audible is a great way to stay on top of reading, learning, and entertainment, whether it's time spent relaxing at home, traveling by plane or train, working out, doing chores, walking the dog, I mean... You know, sitting and watching CPAC on mute and just being very sad about the state of everything. Yeah, you can just listen to books instead. It's significantly better. Audible celebrates the art of voice performances and audio storytelling, supporting creative communities around the world. Now, if you're into sci-fi, I'm not a huge sci-fi fan, but there's a number of sci-fi books I really like. And honestly, my one of my absolute favorite is A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Audible has that. Not only does it have that, it has the whole thing narrated by Douglas Adams, the author. He recorded it live in concert, and Audible got that. You get to sit back and get transported to a whole bunch of bizarre worlds as Douglas Adams brings you through the bizarre universe. Join Audible now for their special anniversary offer. For a limited time until September 26th, new members will get two free audiobooks instead of one with their first 30 days free at audible.ca. Audible's also giving away a free gift from now until September 30th to celebrate their anniversary. Just go to audible.ca slash free gift, F-R-E-E-G-I-F-T, to get a free download of Canadianity, Tales of the True North Strong and Freezing. So, Murad, now we're getting to the spot where we've just bent over backwards to ensure this election is about as little as possible. We've just been handed a giant race scandal, and we've somehow conspired to make this election not about race. No politician, apart from Jagmeet Singh, no media, apart from a handful, is talking about race or anything of substance. Can you please walk me off the edge here before I absolutely lose my mind? This has become the most meaningless, nonsensical, empty, hollow, shallow election I've ever seen in my life. You're asking a nihilist for hope. Look, 
there's this meta conversation going on about the lack of policy in this election, and and it's completely true. One of the issues here is like, what do we what have we had to grab onto in these early days? As you say, you know, there's this flood of oppo research. You know, people have been quick to point out that you know, even with all the oppo research, there has been a lot of policy being put out. You know, campaigns are talking about a significant amount of policy. This is actually policy-wise been a pretty heavy election. But it's like they'll do a campaign event where they'll say, you know, I. I have decided that we are going to send half of the country uh, to the moon, and, and they will bring back moon rocks. Uh, the the press conference afterwards will entirely be focused on on whatever Apple research came out that day. Um, the evening news coverage will touch on the policy statement for a half second, and then move on to whatever Apple research or fucking nonsense has come out that day. And, and it, it actually feels like the entire like campaign apparatus is broken here. Like we we broke it. I think one of the one of the problems that we're seeing is um, you know you take something like the conservatives uh, tax cut or uh, the Green Party's decriminalization plan. Uh, and they're just talking past each other, right? It's not like one party is saying we're going to send everyone to the moon and collect moon rocks and another party is saying, no, Mars is where we really should be aiming for. And there's always the third party that's just like, no, 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 scuba diving. Like the sea is a whole other world, man. And then you're just like, get the fuck out of here. But to jump back a bit, there are core issues here that, you know, a this blackface incident could have led to some degree of discussion about. Um, you know, you had Paul Wells at, on that first debate. Uh, obviously, Mr. Trudeau chose not to uh, not to be present, um, asking about Bill 21 in Quebec. Uh, you had him asking about, or perhaps it was Elizabeth May who brought up the, uh, the Human Rights Tribunal ruling around Indigenous children. Uh, there have been openings for these things, and somehow no one has taken them. And I, honestly, th- you know, this blackface scandal should have been the prime opportunity to do exactly that, right? I mean, this was a door opening to say, you know, hey, listen, the prime minister doing blackface is offensive in and of itself, but it's also emblematic of a country and a class of people who generally govern the country who seem to be totally aloof to the concerns uh, and, and problems facing, you know, non-white, non-upper class Canadians. I mean, and, and, and there's a whole bunch of things in the in the prime minister's record that are, you know, worth talking about. He promised to end mandatory minimum sentences, which pr- pr- disproportionately affect indigenous and black offenders, um, and he didn't do do it. And now we're seeing an absolute explosion of black and indigenous um, people in, in, in prisons, which is, is just going on without any sort of concern from, I, I think, most federal parties. The Greens have pledged to end mandatory minimum sentences. Again, something that's not being talked about even remotely. Um, so, I mean, the, the, like there's a litany of things here we could get into. You know, Jagmeet Singh launched his leadership bid uh, on a promise to end carding on the federal level. And, you know, that hasn't gotten much time on center stage since then. Yeah. And, and and who is in Justin Trudeau's cabinet and uh, and elevated cabinet in the last shuffle? But Bill Blair, you know the man, uh, the right. man who ran Toronto's police force for for years, uh, the man who who is associated with that period of guarding. And was a big defender of it. He's also somebody who's defended the war on drugs, even as it disproportionately affects uh, young men of color. No, I uh, cannot claim that this uh, is an original idea. Uh, I saw someone talking about it on Twitter, but when he was on there as the minister for guns and gangs or whatever his official title is, uh, doing the TV circuit, uh, you know, the, it, it was a very good faith. Let's talk about your gun ban. 
uh, and not, hey, uh, Mr. Blair, how do you feel about the fact that we're talking about race in this election? Exactly. I mean, like that, that seems like the prime opportunity to open that door. And I think one thing that fundamentally frustrates me about you know this, this government and this party is that you know they often don't actually focus on things until it becomes a prime opportunity for oppo research. So I don't really believe the liberal government focused intently on the rise of far-right extremism until they figured out they could they could sort of tar the conservative party with it. It doesn't feel like anything is good faith here. It feels like they'll grab onto things uh, so long as it's politically opportune and then leave it once it's no longer, you know, helpful in the polls. Yeah, and you know, because I'm an equal opportunity uh, finger wagger, the, the conservative party didn't seem to care much about the issue of uh, racism in government until these blackface photos showed up. I mean, I will just gesture broadly at the Islamophobia debate. It is frustrating to me that you know, a lot of the coverage of this blackface scandal, um, you know, has focused on has the prime minister apologized enough? Did he apologize well enough? Political gamesmanship. It has sort of been frustrating to watch, you know, uh, Jugmeet Singh sort of try to punch through this and in a lot of cases not totally succeed. I mean, I think if there's one thing that came out of this absolute clusterfuck of an issue, regardless of what party you support, I think everyone should agree that it would be an opportune time for Jugmeet Singh to come out and actually kind of have a moment. I mean, you know, I, I feel like we've really glossed over the significance of having Canada's first non-white leader on the federal stage. Um, and it would be, it should be a really opportune time to talk about a lot of race issues, a lot of issues facing religious minorities and immigrants in this country. The more I think about it, the more I push back on that slightly, only insofar as what Jagmeet Singh has become now is is the one, right? He's the first one. It was yeah. always going to be difficult yeah. to be the first one. But he's become the one. I mean, this is the reason why Trudeau wants to talk to him, because he needs someone to absolve him of all the shit that he's done. But Jagmeet Singh then becomes someone who can't just be NDP leader. And, you know, there's all this other stuff about him. Like, he has a a, a backstory that he's quite good at telling, and I won't repeat it here. But uh, there, there's this uh, visual dissonance, you know, the man in uh, in his... Uh, fancy suits leading this workers party he's explained why he does that it's a, a part of his uh, you know his self image that comes from uh, from from sort of the yeah. th- the difficulty of being a, a, a brown child uh, in uh, in in sort of the era he grew up in but um my my concern here is that and you know and th- this is not a partisan concern it's uh, I cannot in fact vote uh, in this election but there's this concept in the in the corporate world called the glass cliff, uh, and I'm I'm probably going to butcher this, but it works a little bit like this: uh, you've got a company uh, that's done some bad shit or is in a bunch of trouble, and the CEO or uh, another top executive has been kicked out the door because of the bad shit that happened, uh, and so you put a woman or a person of color in that spot because it's good PR, and they get to be the the first, uh, and then that person doesn't manage to turn around the shitty situation, and they get fired, uh, and then that company and no company in that industry will uh, give that kind of a job to a woman or a person of color again for a quite a long time because the reckoning is, well, it wasn't, they didn't fail because the situation was shitty. They failed because um, clearly women or people of color can't lead. And it has felt for a long time like we were getting to that situation with Jagmeet Singh. Put aside all the problems um, that he's created for himself, and I'm not denying that they are numerous. Uh, But, you know, no less than Nathan Cullen came out and said uh, a little while ago that while they were running a leadership election while letting Tom Mulcair hang around, uh, the party apparatus was allowed to rust away. But what we're going to have in a a few weeks is Jagmeet Singh will uh, not win this election. He's not going to be prime minister. And um, he may lose seats. And if he loses 
loses seats, he gets turfed. And if he gets turfed, then there's a moratorium on hiring or electing uh, a person of color to the leadership of a major federal party for, I don't know, the next five, 10 years. I mean, this is what happened in BC with Ojaldo Sanj. He got a year as NDP uh, leader and as premier. Then he became a federal liberal. Uh, and look at who's been leading those parties since then. And, and my concern is that I'm not entirely sure whether this scandal with Trudeau makes that more or less likely because now Jagmeet Singh's race is being reinforced even further, but it's completely out of his control. There's a lot of fairness to that, but at the same time, you know, I, I think it's sort of incumbent, and it's unfortunate it's incumbent on him, but it's sort of incumbent on Jagmeet Singh to, you know, I, I think uh, take on that mantle. I mean, you know, this is, he says, part of the reason he got into politics is, is to fight for the little guy. And the little guy is, in this case, you know, a lot of racial minorities um, and, and first and second generation immigrants. Um, and, that, and that's who he talks about a lot. So, you know, to that respect, I think he needs to swing bigger. And I feel like this is the opportunity for him to do that. To some degree, you know, I think maybe we've been, we've failed as a media, myself and everybody else, and most other people included, um, because a lot of times the the election or politics in this country simply haven't addressed a lot of the issues around race, immigration, uh, indigenous status, and so on, uh, that it probably ought to. And, you know, that's why a lot of these issues have, have been off the forefront. Um, and it's because our media is really white. And, and I would, again, I was hoping that this blackface scandal, as awful as it is, would be a big open door to sort of um, get a lot of those issues into this election, but it doesn't seem like it. I mean, even on Thursday when Justin Trudeau was making his second apology, Every single question was, how many times did you do it? Are you really sorry? Process questions about politics. One very brilliant APTN reporter got up and asked, can you tell us what more you're going to do to end suicides? And I even heard a bit of grumbling from people in the media being like, well, that's not the story today. It's like, fuck you. I mean, it seems like we are allergic in this country to actually covering race um, or issues for marginalized people in a thoughtful and useful way. To your point about uh, Jagmeet, I think the the question then becomes, okay, the next time Jagmeet Singh does a presser, is the question, do you forgive Mr. Trudeau? Is the question, are you upset about what Mr. Trudeau did? Uh, Or is the question, um, what policies would you like to see a Canadian government implement to deal with structural racism, to deal with anti-blackness, to deal with the treatment of indigenous people in this country? But that's not the question he's going to get asked. No offense. I mean, that's an awkward question to ask in a, in a scrum like that. But, you know, I've done enough of these scrums. It's very easy to flip the question in a way where you basically ask that same thing. You go, listen, this scandal has a, has angered and frustrated and made sad a lot of um, you know, racialized people in this country do you have anything that would give them hope in this election? Are there policies you're running on or things that can be done that can turn this election into a positive one for people who are feeling particularly angry about these photos? Boom. And that needs to be, I think, the frame going forward, um, you know, not who has forgiven him and who hasn't. Again, going back to the nihilism thing. I, I, uh, <laughs> if we can bring this back to nihilism for a second. <laughs> I think the, I think the best, the best single line uh, that's been written about this scandal to me is uh, Vicky Mochama's column in uh, the Washington Post. And the last, the last half of the last line of it is, I feel nothing but a deep sense of resignation. And like, same. Same. 
This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. Now, you've heard me talk about FreshBooks before, but really, if you are a small business owner or a freelancer, or really you're doing any work on the side and you're not using FreshBooks, you're really missing out. FreshBooks actually is just better than the rest. It's the gold standard of accounting software. I have tried the other options on the market, and I'll be totally honest, they were more trouble than they were worth. FreshBooks saves you a bunch of time, both when it comes to doing your taxes, but also when it comes to doing day-to-day stuff, like telling your editors and people who owe you money, hey, pay me. FreshBooks will do that for you. It'll send reminders. It will bug them so you don't have to. It'll track how much you earn. It actually is a very satisfying thing to sit there on the FreshBooks home screen and see that big number of the amount of money you made in the past year. All sorts of stuff like that, how much you owe, how much your uh, receipts are for, all that stuff, it shows you right there. It's very easy to spit out. All of the reports are super readable formats. Everything there is designed to make your life significantly simpler. If you have not started it yet, you should definitely get a 30-day free trial of FreshBooks. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash oppo and enter OPPO in the how did you hear about a section. That's freshbooks.com slash OPPO, promo code oppo. Okay, so in the election about nothing, we're going to finally talk about some actual specific policies. And I want to talk about the Canadian tech sector. It's why Murad's on the show. This is the sort of thing that he covers day into day. It's the sort of stuff the logic is absolutely breaking through the noise on. So what I want to know is how the parties actually plan on handling both the big tech companies, the small AI startups, and everything in between. So Murad, I need you to help me break this down because this is not stuff I follow day to day. I thought you had me on for my beautiful speaking voice. Well, it's both. So Justin... Cast your minds back with me four long years to when Justin Trudeau was the leader of the third party in a federal election and not a prime minister who had done blackface at least twice. At that time, the Liberals' real change platform didn't actually promise much change for the Canadian economy. The closest thing we got to major innovation policy in the 2015 election was a promise to put $600 million into incubators and accelerators. Trudeau kind of tossed off that promise at a campaign stop in Winnipeg. Now, once in government, what they actually committed to was a $2.8 billion innovation fund, $900 million for superclusters, $450 million in seed money for venture capital funds, a bunch of other programming, and a lot of pictures of the Prime Minister and Innovation Minister Navdeep Bains in offices with exposed brick walls. Now look, I know the average voter probably doesn't know what a supercluster is, and there's some real questions about that program, Uh, but the important thing is, flash forward four years, and Canada's innovation economy is actually doing quite well. Companies are raising bigger and bigger rounds of money uh, from major investors for stuff that people are actually buying and using today. Now, as it happens, I was actually just walking past a new massive AI hub in Montreal, this building that sold for more than $153 million, which is an obscene evaluation in Montreal. You know, it, it just seems like, you know, th- this sector is absolutely exploding in a way that I I didn't totally see coming. You know, I've, I've heard for years, uh, Justin Trudeau and Navdeep Baines and others in, in government tell me how important AI and machine learning would be to the Canadian economy. But I'm not going to lie to you. I always thought that was an excuse just so Trudeau could hang out with Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, he does like hanging out with tech CEOs, there are lots of pictures. 
Okay, so but let, let, let's let's break this down because you know I think there are really two sides to this, right? You know there are people who are saying that this is Trudeau trying to get out in front of the innovation economy and and put gas in in the tank and make Canada the you know the cutting edge competitor for uh, the smartest and most brilliant innovators in the world. The other side it says this is just a massive corporate welfare program, and it seems to be a lot of the stuff that Andrew Scheer is taking aim at on this campaign without actually coming out and saying it. Uh, but there's people who think a lot of this uh, money is just just throwing good after bad. What is the legacy of this four years of big corporate handouts to these tech nerds? You know, what have we actually gotten for this money? Look, part of the problem with this thing is that it's a high risk proposition, right? Like you uh, seed a bunch of startups, they um, start working on big ideas and some of them go south. And AI is actually a really good sort of space to talk about because it's certainly true that way back when, and we're talking decades ago, the Canadian government's sort of science support system funding researchers uh, produced these uh, these people who are now stars, uh, people like Joshua Bengio in uh, Montreal and Jeff Hinton, uh, who is in Toronto, who have really sort of paved the way for the for the AI work that's going on right now. The thing is, though, that's a big approach. You see it as much as you conceivably can, uh, and you end up with some results a few years down the line. Now, you know, Jeff Hinton works for Google. This is a source of considerable controversy in the Canadian tech space about our leading researchers being taken away. But um, we have produced some standout successes. I mean, I usually live in the capital, uh, and uh, Shopify is basically slowly eating the downtown. You know, they've got this massive office on Elgin Street, and they're like uh, moving into all these buildings around it. That company now uh, employs 4,000 people. But the question really uh, to a lot of people is, does the government have a coherent strategy for this? Or is it basically uh, putting a little bit of money here, putting a little bit of money there, um, and sort of um, crossing its fingers and hoping for the best? All right. If the government were not giving let's say Shopify a good deal on, you know, property taxes or Google money to set up AI startups or, you know, land on the, uh, on the waterfront to set up sidewalk labs. Would these companies be here? You know, would Shopify still have most of its operations in Ottawa? Would Google be investing in AI? Would Facebook be talking about self-driving cars here? You know, would those things be in Canada if not for this federal money? Well, Canada has a few sort of structural advantages, um, one of which uh, the government actually gets into trouble for talking about. Um, so developer salaries here are about 30 to 35%, roughly speaking, cheaper than they are in um, the States. Uh, and you know that differential depends on where you are. That's what Toronto actually sold when uh, they were pitching for Amazon's second headquarters. Now, it's notable that when, when uh, Toronto made that bid, New York and, and Crystal City and Virginia offered um, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in tax incentives. Canada don't do tax incentives for, for tech companies in the same way, but there's all these questions about you know whether we're uh, taxing these big companies fairly. And, and those kinds of things factor into a negotiation because if you've just slapped this massive tax bill on a company, they're a little less inclined to give you a bunch of jobs. I should add that these companies all say that they pay the local taxes where uh, they operate uh, and they're following the law. Well, in, in fairness, that's bullshit. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, like, Facebook, Google, these big corporations have, have found ways to pay the smallest amount of tax in any jurisdiction they operate in. Uh, good for them. That's what all companies do. But but certainly it's true that Facebook, Google, at the very least, um, have done very well by avoiding paying HST for online transactions. And there's an actually an interesting discussion happening about this. Liz May was actually the only uh, federal party leader to uh, mention uh, big tech at the McLean's debate. And uh, she said, you know, we need to impose a, a tax on these transnational companies. This isn't an international issue, right? Like we're not competing against uh, just Silicon Valley. We're competing against um, Dublin and uh, Berlin and Paris for where these companies will put uh, people. Okay, so Murad, I, I get what Facebook sells. Um, I, I get what Google and Shopify and Amazon sell. With Element and with the other AI and machine learning companies, you know, what are they actually bringing to market? I, I'm not sure I always am 100% clear. Yeah, and actually some of the most interesting companies in this space are the ones that have taken you know AI and they're using it for... Uh, very specific things um, that that are actually consumer facing. Hopper is a great example of this. Hopper is a company in Montreal. They predict when airline prices will drop. Hopper will tell you when the best time to buy your tickets are, which is so that you don't have to spend you know an hour every night on uh, a travel website looking. And that's artificial intelligence, taking a large amount of data, making predictions. Another company called Ada here in Toronto uh, makes customer service chatbots. So there are companies that are doing this kind of frontline work using artificial intelligence, but a lot of them are doing it kind of uh, on their own steam. They've raised a bunch of money. They're spending that money intelligently. And there are people who really want to work for them. And these are all really positive signs for the space. Okay, but let me flip it this way. You know, I've, I've heard the federal government talk a big game about how great the, the sector is and how great it could even be for the Canadian government, you know, whether or not it's, um, you know, moving our fleet of automobiles to self-driving cars or uh, getting government systems onto some AI platforms. It sounds really nice and fuzzy until you start getting into some of the, the actual implications and realize that we've never had a discussion about any of this stuff. So um, the federal government was looking for companies to come in and start uh, offering opinions on how the immigration system could start triaging immigration requests through artificial intelligence. And, and that, to me, feels like, you know, the Trudeau government has pulled a bit of a bait and switch, where it's got all of us really excited about the possibility of this technology, but then already has started building the infrastructure to, to use it for things that we've never agreed on. And, and that sort of makes me very sort of suspicious of this entire program. Yeah, I hear you. Look, would it surprise you to learn that the government insists that it is the most ethical government in the world when it comes to the use of artificial intelligence? Oh, well, you know what? That's all my concerns put to rest. <laughs> uh, so they, they have been doing stuff in this area, in fairness to them. Uh, they've uh, released these guidelines on automated decision making, which include things like, uh, you know, people have to be able to explain the decision um, or a person who's affected by the decision um, is sort of eligible to a, a coherent explanation and that basically they're supposed to take things like bias and uh, unintended negative outcomes into account. So there is work going on in this space. You're uh, touching on a whole other area of my uh, wonky interest, which is uh, government tech procurement and uh, digital government. Uh, another thing I won't bore you with too much. I'm not down on uh, on the government's efforts because they are they are trying to do things in new ways. The way that they're trying to buy the new replacement for the Phoenix, which whole other show is actually interesting. DBD, whether it'll work. But I would say that they're kind of between two stools here. So Tom Cardoso at The Globe, uh, who is an, an old friend of mine, reported a little while ago that um, for the uh, parental sponsorship system, right, they were running a, a lottery. And the way that they were picking people in the lottery was they had an Excel spreadsheet with everybody's names, 
or their numbers or something. Uh, and they were running a random number generator to pick people through the lottery. So this was the government of Canada system. It was literally an Excel spreadsheet. Does it work, though? That seems like it would work just fine. Interestingly, uh, Excel's random number generator isn't truly random. Uh, so that creates some problems. Yes, there are big questions to be asked about when we introduce these systems. And I think you're starting to see some of that in the States, where companies like uh, Amazon's uh, employees of Amazon and employees of Microsoft are protesting that their companies are working with the U.S. government, whether that's the Defense Department or ICE, companies that are selling facial recognition technology or are some form of artificial intelligence to the sort of law enforcement system are getting into shit with their employees because like this stuff is scary. I would say, though, it doesn't seem like we're that far along in Canada. In the U.S., it feels like a, a lot of these bigger companies, it feels like they're mostly untouchable because they become so instrumental in the way in which the American government does business. Now, I think you're starting to see some of those companies become integral to the Canadian market as well. Palantir, you know, Peter Thiel's rather ominous uh, data collection and analysis company, which works with ICE, opened up an office uh, in Canada, hiring former U.S. ambassador David McNaughton. This money for uh, AI startups has been done in partnership with Google and Facebook. Google now is is building an entire community on the, on the Toronto waterfront. I think it's fair to say we're getting to a spot where these big tech companies and the Canadian government are really married together. So in this election, there's been a little bit of conversation about uh, what to be done, both with regulating social media companies, but also what to do with uh, those who are getting rich off of them, those uh, employees who are getting stock options, CEOs who are getting fabulously wealthy. Walk me through what we're hearing from the campaign trail, because I have not seen almost any coverage of this. This is the point for my shameless plug, right? <laughs> uh, my shameless plug is that I, I've actually written about all of this uh, in an article that came out yesterday in The Logic. So you should go and read that. So there's a bunch of bits and pieces in each party's platforms about what they'll do for or to the tech and innovation sector. But there's not a lot of big picture thinking here. Um, but I'd correct you on one point there, not just to be a dick about it. Um, no, 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 be a dick about it. There's been a significant lack of that since Jen left the show. <laughs> on the stock options piece, I think this is actually important to get into. So there's a stock options cap going into place. Uh, the Liberals put it in place in the last budget. Um, it takes effect for uh, options that are granted next year. So options are basically like you get the right to buy stock in your company at a low price um, on the basis that um, if the company does really well, then that stock will be worth a lot and... Uh, Smaller companies can underpay developers to what market would be by basically promising the possibility of this huge upside in the future. There aren't actually that many companies in Canada that have gotten to the point where someone would become fabulously wealthy off those options. Um, we've had a few really big exits. Look, uh, there's no denying if you were shop early Shopify employee and uh, like you still own that stock now, you're worth a pretty fucking huge amount of money. But um, the number of exits, so that's uh, an exit is either a company goes public, uh, which means they're listed on a public market and you and I can buy shares, um, or that they're bought out by a bigger company. That number uh, is increasing. The number of really big ones has increased significantly over the last couple of years, but it's nowhere near uh, at the uh, at the pace that you see it in the Valley. The Valley is an exception to almost every rule, but this is all a, a big way of saying there is a concern in the Canadian tech world, uh, and a concern that, that is sort of substantiated with evidence, 
that the liberal proposal, that the uh, the green proposal, um, which is to close what they call the stock option loophole, uh, and that the NDP proposal, I won't get into the technical details, but it makes the deduction that these people use a less attractive and also that they might remove the deduction altogether, um, that that could really hurt companies' capacity to hire. Um, because, um, look, talent is, uh, these people are mobile, right? It's harder to get an H-1B visa into the States than it used to be. But if you're a developer, it's easier than it would be for, I don't know, let's pick a profession out of the air, a journalist, uh, to convince the U.S. <laughs> government that, that you actually need to be there and that your employer should get a visa for you. So th- so this is actually a legitimate concern that the, that these companies are raising. Now, all, you know, the liberal government uh, said right in the budget, we're going to uh, we're gonna exclude startups and fast-growing companies. Uh, the NDP told me that uh, they don't want to hurt small companies and this is only going after large companies. But the devil's in the details. How you define small company, how you define fast-growing, uh, that could have a real significant impact on a lot of companies that are really promising right now. You know, both the Greens and the NDP are kind of promising a suite of things that I think I can tell you that these companies would just go to the wall over. I mean, the Green Party platform has pledged that it would force Facebook, Twitter, and other social media companies um, to ensure that uh, only people with verified identities can set up profiles, which is, I, I can't even begin to get into it with how bad of an idea that is. The NDP have threatened to treat companies like Netflix, Facebook, Google, and others uh, as though they're Canadian broadcasters, which ostensibly would bring them under the mandate of the CRTC, um, which you know would mean them paying Canadian taxes. That's good. Um, but also also would mean supporting everything in both French and English um, and ensuring those CanCon requirements, which I can, can't even begin to fathom with how ridiculous that would be to comply with. I, I think it's fair to say that there, you know, there is a, a real willingness uh, for all the parties, understandably, to sort of stick it to these companies um, and maybe not a whole bunch of coherent ideas on how to make that work. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the big things that we saw was there's been this drumbeat of external pressure on the uh, Trudeau government. Um, from things like the Federal Ethics Committee, I, I should say, in the interest of fairness, and also because it's true, you know, there are there are holes in the big picture liberal strategy. I think uh, I would say that the innovation economy folks feel like the liberals have been better than any government before them in that they have you know done stuff for <laughs> tech companies and, and they've paid attention. Uh, but I think one of the important things for the parties to understand in this election is that some of the biggest stuff that matters to these companies isn't actually funding. It's stuff that doesn't have innovation in the name at all. It's stuff like immigration. The Trump administration's changes to um, H-1B, which is their skilled worker program, caused this effect where um, you saw people who would have otherwise gone to the States coming to Canada. And what I actually found about six months ago, uh, I, I wrote about this, that actually a bunch of skilled immigrants in the U.S., so people who'd gone to the U.S., have moved instead to Canada via this new skilled worker program that the uh, Trudeau government came up with. And that program was the direct result of years of uh, Canadian tech companies saying, it is too hard for us to get people in to this country. It is too hard for us to hire skilled engineers. They're not taking jobs away from Canadians. That change has made a significant difference to the tech community, I think they would tell you. Uh, stuff like stock options, transit, a regular train between Kitchener, Waterloo, and Toronto. 
you have no idea how much time I've spent talking about that with people because these two ecosystems are, are trying to link up. But if you want to get to Waterloo for a morning meeting, uh, that's actually surprisingly difficult to do. So it's stuff like this. Um, and so, you know, you've got the Green Party coming out and saying, um, we're going to tax large corporations for laying off employees by automating their jobs. Um, big, bold policy idea. Where's the federal party saying, we're going to take a long, hard look at quality of life issues in areas where we want to encourage tech development? Um, you know, there, there's there are small sectors in Calgary and Regina now. The governments there could be doing more to look at this stuff. It's a rare spot where I'm sitting there going like, Every party has a piece of this. I mean, you know, from yeah, the Greens and the NDP have talked a big game about bringing some of the big companies to heal, but also about like just basic uh, things that would allow people to get to work and, and live in the city they want to more easily. Um, the Conservatives have talked a pretty good game about kind of reviewing what we're spending money on and making sure there's some coherent fucking thought process behind it. And the Liberals have actually said, you know, we need to prioritize the sector in order to make sure that, that, that they actually stick around it and, and, and hire people here. It, it kind of feels like we just, you know, there, there could be a kumbaya moment where all the parties get together and decide, like, you know, maybe there is a sensible sort of nonpartisan, apolitical set of policies here that we can all kind of get behind. That is far too optimistic. Well, yes. And there's no shortage of tech uh, executives who would be willing to line up and give them that advice. Um, so I guess liberal policy shops call me. I'll make some introductions. <laughs> everybody, everybody call Murat. That is Oppo for this week. You can get in touch with us at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at OppoCast to let us know what you think. Now, Murad, uh, where can people find you and read all of your work? So my stuff goes up at thelogic.co. Uh, we're a Canadian publication. We cover the innovation economy. I like us. I think we're pretty good. We do only exclusive and uh, in-depth reporting. So check us out. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Murad Hem, M-U-R-A-D-H-E-M. I am a Logic subscriber and can confirm it's really good. It's really good. This episode of Oppo was produced by Laura Howells. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton from Canada Land Media, and the theme music was by Nathan Burley. Tell your friends about the show, rate us, and subscribe. We are weekly, so we'll be back next Tuesday. I have the last word this week, and that word is Terminator. <laughs>